Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, Blade Disgusting's horror video game podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the old one, Neil Bo. And this week we're chatting about the deranged, Fulci-inspired zombie madness of Night at the Gates of Hell, from developer Jordan King, the twisted mind behind 2021's Bloodwash, and the booty creek cheek freak. Night at the Gates of Hell puts the player into the sorrow-filled shoes of David, the survivor of the zombie apocalypse who just lost his wife and sets out to escape his infested apartment building in hopes of finding survivors. So, Neil, of any game that we have covered, it very much feels like Made in a Lab that was based solely on your interests, <laughs> um, <laughs> if there ever was a game. And I think that uh, that's probably the best way to describe this game because it is such a mashup of not only genres that you know we both enjoy, but also just sensibilities, I think, of what you would want somebody that is a fan of horror films to, you know, put them into a game more so than just being like, hey, here's this moment or this, you know, recreation of an event from a movie. Like this game feels through and through like someone that understands a genre of film that you and I have enjoyed and, you know, really cherish and has made it into an experience that feels like it's, you know, a byproduct of that passion and that love through and through. Yeah, I mean, Jordan's clearly got a love of, you know, Italian horror and zombie horror that goes even beyond what I have. You know, it's it, he lists so many um, films, even ones I haven't seen before, as uh, influences. And, you know, despite that, the obvious ones are there and very clear. And it's more about the overall vibe that those things have, you know, that they all have a feeling about them, which is like this waking nightmare as I, I think I said to you when I was on Daily Horror Habit and talked about Fulci in that way, and now that can be, you know, that sort of feeling is what I love about it. And, yeah, it's very much on show here as well. You have it all the way from yeah, the second you start, really. It's just got this strange, you know, very much Jordan King sort of vibe, but also that, you know, the source is coming through loud and clear from moment one. Yeah, you know, within the opening moments of this game, it channels this thing that you've been talking about a lot on the show, uh, both here and on Daily Horror Habit, right? That idea of the type of media that is, you know, it's indicative of things that you should be consuming at, you know, two in the morning, three in the morning, where it's these things that have this kind of dreamlike quality to, oh, did I just, am I misremembering? Did I just fall asleep and then wake up really quickly? And then I'm just kind of like back into this, this carnage often of uh, the undead variety. And this game from the opening moments really does channel that in probably the best form I have seen of a majority, you know, games wise. And that is not only done through its presentation, which I want to talk about a little bit and some of the influences, like this is definitely a zombie horror game that channels that Euro horror vibe that you've been talking about a lot on the show. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether that be the game having, you know, nudity, having gore, but the gore being of a caliber that we don't always associate with like a lot of mainstream American zombie uh, yeah. media, I think. Like, the one of the first victims of the zombies, I believe, gets, like, their breast eaten, right? Which is <laughs> feels like very Euro-horror, where it's a combination of, you know, sex and violence and these things that um, they have this scuzzy quality to them, not just those two things, but overall, like, this 
kind of quality that you would associate with media where it's like, oh, this is stuff that you have to watch when nobody else is awake. Because otherwise, if they caught you watching it, <laughs> they would have some they would have some choice words for you, perhaps, of the types of things that you're into or who you are as a person, which, you know, the ability to replicate that and, you know, me playing this as a 30-year-old now who doesn't have to worry, but doesn't have a lot of limits on the types of games or movies that they can consume or any at all. But the fact that this game is able to channel that kind of core experience from maybe our youth, but to have it be really like a basis for this experience and it, you know, it unfolding in a way that I don't find a lot of zombie games do no. uh, is immediately rewarding and immediately a standout, I think. Yeah, it's... Um definitely takes on an aspect of you know gaming in that space as well that's a bit different that kind of feels more traditional as well um it, you know there's a lot of resi you know og resi feel to this you know, as well especially i mean remake as well uh, when you think of the knife system that they have in there for you, know, you can pick up knives to, to save yourself from getting one shot by a zombie effectively and yeah, that, that really works quite well. And, you know, the, the way the aiming is, there's the fact that you have to stay still and shoot and things like that. And, yeah, it really feels like a proper survival horror. I mean, I know with Puppet Combo, it's always been said that, you know, that he, those games are about, you know, just uh, capturing the 80s slasher sort of feel you know, in VHS-style horror. Rather than try to be like survival horror, it just happens to be the aesthetic <laughs> you know carries that off. But whereas this feels like the step up, where it's like no, 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 this is a proper survival horror with you know really embracing a particular time place and time and place. And yeah, as you say, it really does not shirk anything in that regard. You know, it's not trying to modernize a you know a retro feeling it's everything warts and all on in there and uh it's it's one that will be interesting to see if it ever makes its way to um playstation and xbox like uh public combos games did but uh yeah it's certainly got to be given credit for that you know i think it's, it really does just go for it yeah, and you know, I haven't played as many of Jordan King's games or, you know, puppet combo games as you have. I've been doing my best <laughs> doing my best when I have free time to catch up and I've certainly mm. made uh, some headway in that regard. But, you know, just from what I've played, I totally agree in the sense that this is this feels like a step up in terms of design in the sense that it channels a lot of those survival horror elements of, you know, classic games. But in terms of the gameplay, it does things that are might be seen as, you know, not all that innovative, but they are they bring a certain level of polish, I think, in how they're presented. Like you mentioned yeah. the knife system. It's not just that in addition to firearms, you can collect knives that basically save you from, you know, getting grabbed by a zombie and then eaten. Because in yeah. this game, in uh, you know, maybe more hardcore survival horror fashion, if you get grabbed once, you die. You take one hit and you're done. And then you reload. But in this, you know, it's not just that you have the knife that saves you, but you get this really fantastic animation where the screen basically fills with the zombie that's grabbed you. And then you get that knife or sometimes it's a screwdriver that comes out and, you know, stabs it in the face. And then you get this geyser <laughs> of blood that covers basically everything in the vicinity. But even in that, like, I think that it's a smart presentation of a mechanic that 
some people might have seen elsewhere. But more importantly, it highlights a feature of this game that I really, really like, which is the, you know, the plethora of uh, zombie models. Mm. I think that they advertise this game as having like 85 different designs for the zombies and whatnot, which I love. I mean, that's one of my qualms with some other zombie titles is that, you know, once you've seen one or a handful, you've seen them all. Whereas in this game, you know, you might see a few repeats here and there, but overall, every encounter it gives you that kind of like pause almost where you're trying to almost identify what you're looking at based on the type of variety that you're facing at various points, which I love because it gives you a certain level of hesitancy each time you have to enter combat. It's like, oh, what new fucked up thing am I going to be facing this time? (laughs) And if it grabs me, am I going to have to quite literally come, you know, face to face with? Um, But I think also like an understanding of survival horror mechanics and having a project like this that is more combat focused. I think this is the most combat focused of any of Kings or um, yeah, Publicolo's catalog. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Yeah, it's very combat focused and yeah, I mean totally designed around it as well. It's great use of tight dark spaces with lethal encounters. You know, that that's the whole thing of it. It's the fact you have to stop and shoot, the fact that you are often cornered very quickly means and then you, you you know you don't know if you remember you have a knife left or not and the, the variety of zombies and shape size and everything means you can never be confident of what's coming around the corner next you know it's well that you know there's no zombies really generally quite different to the other in terms of just, they're all humanoid they don't it's not like you know here's a brute here's a spitty one here's like that it's um yeah they all just like slight tweaks on it that enough to make it interesting you know like um about the middle of the game there's one that's like bent backwards and of course you know one of the main ways to kill them is headshots so it's like it's not easy to do because they're basically coming at you going first and so (laughs) the only way you can actually get them is to aim between the legs and shoot the head that way which is like simple but really demented and works well (laughs) strangely well, it's a good tweak on just overall, like the singular mechanic, which is you have to shoot them in the head, right? Which the amount of zombie games we've played that don't even abide by that, typically it adds a a level of lethality to zombies, right? That we don't really necessarily have in a great deal of zombie games anymore. Um, I would also say, you know, the fact that this first person game is able to channel the, I guess, the way in which people like conduct themselves in a more traditional third person fixed camera angle survival horror game but in the first person perspective which some people might feel is like restrictive i find to be a benefit to capturing that which is you know the slow reload times or the fact that if you don't aim down the barrel of the gun sometimes your aim is going to be off because there's no hud no reticle right um that plays into also like the manual aiming or sorry the uh the manual ammo check, yeah. right? Where you have to literally, you know, if you have the revolver, you have to flick the cylinder out and count the number of shots you have. Shotgun, you know, it brings up a little HUD when you're holding that button. And some, same with uh, checking the amount of knives you have. But just a little moment like that, it makes every decision that the player makes have an extra layer of thought applied to yeah. it. Because if you're not doing that periodically, you know, what's going to happen? You're going to dry fire and then you're going to be out of knives, and then you're going to be, you know, brain, uh, zombie food. Um, but 
little things like that along with the fact that if you're going to aim down the sights, you can't move. Those are the mm-hmm. things that prevent this from ever feeling like just a traditional first-person shooter, right? Or it prevents That's it from it. ever getting away from the survival aspect of survival horror, which it's so clearly emulating. Yeah, and yeah, it throws out like jump moments to try and catch you off guard constantly, but makes them just obvious enough that you know they're going to come. And it's going to happen, but then does something, you know, they make sure it's at the moment you least expect rather than the one you're going for it's going to happen now it's going to happen it's going to happen oh it didn't happen okay well i've got what i need i got past that bit seems like i'm gonna go away with this bam hit you straight away with that um that and you know the zombie noises are also quite unique as well there's just all sorts of weird fucked up noises going on (laughs) it's like you know the first time you um step out into the corridor in that apartment block and it's so unnerving because you know it's look one way look the other it's just long dark corridor and you hear that horrible gurgly screeching sort of moan and it's very intimidating you know which is a really great way to set it and at this point we've already had a prologue which is you know tongue-in-cheek as it is it's um does a good job at setting up the atmosphere and you know in in every way shape and form but yeah this then when you get to the meat of the action you do suddenly get given this idea of no no as much as this is a good balance of comedy and horror at times you know it's so much more horror to it than i'd say even blood wash had you know because um it's really trying to go for that sort of oppressive atmosphere you know everything's happened already everything's messed up and you're pretty much caught in the hell of it which you know, as you say so many games have done that but doing it with as much success as it has done here rare very rare i was blown away by that prologue and you know if for anybody that's played it they know that it has a very traditional kind of setup right it's Mm. a guy and a girl they want to go have sex in the woods and that kind of like intro to any (laughs) horror movie that anybody has probably seen from any era right but the fact that they're able to balance the horror with comedy in a way that doesn't feel like one is undercutting the other. Like that's kind of like the th- my uh, <laughs> the hill that I die on always is just like how <laughs> difficult horror comedy is, and that I often personally have a lot of difficulty enjoying those because one of those elements is typically stronger than the other in my experience. But yeah. with a game such as this, just as soon as they introduce, and I'm thinking about that prologue specifically, they introduce a laugh here, they introduce a laugh there. But like you said. If it's not being the player not being immediately faced with, you know, a horde of zombies or something, the atmosphere is picking up that slack or that downtime in between of just being very unnerving, very brooding um, in a way that, you know, it reminds somebody like myself that's only been playing these lo-fi, low-poly horror games for like a year and a half or two Mm. years at this point. It reminded me in a way that I was taken aback by just how terrifying these experiences can be. And, you know, it is the age-old adage of, like, you don't judge a book by its cover, right? You can't judge anything in this category based on what might be trending on Ichio in a given week or something Mm -hmm. like that. You know what I mean? It's This is a type of experience that, in the right hands, can be genuinely terrifying at times, no matter how it looks. Um, And this game is peppered with little moments like that. Even Mm -hmm. if it isn't this massive set piece, perhaps it's just a note that you read and then 
what you find in a room that might be attached to those notes or something along those lines can be pretty terrifying. And there's a couple of environmental moments um, in terms of environmental storytelling that were quite terrifying and things that I was not expecting. Again, you know, you are being, uh, you know, f- facing these hordes of the undead periodically or throughout the entire experience. And the fact that there are little horror stories built into this game that you find very organically, like I'm thinking about the apartment block and how, you know, the prologue indicates to the player that this isn't just your normal run of the mill zombies. There's cultists involved and there's satanic rituals involved in these things. But mm-hmm. reading a note about a woman in the apartment block that has two children that fell in with the cult and started doing rituals. And then, you know, what you find in the children's bedroom as a result of that was like genuinely shocking and terrifying in a way that I don't associate necessarily with a great deal of these low poly games. And I think that it's a really wonderful reminder that no matter how something might look, if somebody is well attuned to the world of horror and storytelling Mm -hmm. in horror, they can make anything scary no matter how it looks or how it's presented. Yeah, I think um, what is often underlooked in this sort of VHS style horror genre is that when it's done right and someone understands what they're doing, it's more than just slapping you know, VHS filter on top of it and calling it a day. It has to be everything about the thing that is contained within it. It has to feel like those things that would be on at two o'clock in the morning that you'd never seen before and were like, wow, how, how are they showing this on TV like this? Or you know, that, that DVD or VHS that got passed around and you know, say, oh, you should watch this, you should watch this. This is crazy fucked up sort of thing. And that's what this does so well. Um, I mean, that soundtrack as well it's, is just immense as well. It really does just feel like it was made during that sort of you know, goblin era esque you know stuff. It, it really does do that perfectly. Which I think, you know, if you're going to make a game that is very much based on Italian Euro horror style zombie stuff, you've got to have the soundtrack to to work with, and it's there. It's just. Oof. Just fantastic stuff. I'm so glad you brought up the soundtrack because the soundtrack has all the things that you've said I agree with. And on top of that, you know, you have zombie groans and moans in there to a degree that no matter where what environment you're, you know, exploring, whether you're backtracking or whether or not you've just killed all the zombies in the area, it still has a level of unnerving to it that kept me on my toes. And, you know, when I was playing it at one in the morning after a few beers, it definitely freaked me out (laughs) about hearing like a moan or a groan directly behind me turning around and nothing's there. And, you know, that's one of those things where it's like, oh, well, that's, uh, that's fabricated tension. But at the same time, given the nature of the undead rising, but also, you know, the satanic sort of undefinable, unknowing black magic behind everything. It's like, oh, maybe something spawned behind me because that would work in this world that has, again, this very dreamlike kind of uh, element to things behind it, which, Mm. you know, on top of creating a great atmosphere and it being this oppressive thing, you know, keeping you on your toes or at certain points of uh, various late night inebriations, you know, making you jump in a way that, you know, I don't necessarily know I have with a great deal of other zombie games. Um, I think also, you know, you mentioned presentation and how these types of games are notorious for having features or maybe they're just known for having these features of, you know, applying grain to them or, you know, the various time periods that you can get different filters for what you're seeing. You know, I'm somebody that uh, 
while I appreciate that and I appreciate the grain and making it look like a VHS, it's kind of like a shoddy VHS tape in these things. I can't play any of these games with those features for very long because it kind of just gives me a headache. That's, <laughs> that's just how I am with those types of things. So I turn those features off and I still found it to be every bit, you know, engrossing in terms of like channeling a lot of horror films that I've enjoyed from this particular era. Um, and it having, I don't know, a level of, I suppose, architecture that goes a step further. I'm thinking about later in this game when you leave the apartment, right? Those confines of the apartment complex and you're exploring this kind of like cobbled little town that kind of looks like what I would assume a, a seaside town in uh, in Italy or something would look like, yeah, right? Yeah, it's perfect for, for yeah, what we're doing here. So yeah, it's um, yeah, really good. Sorry, just to jump in a bit, it was uh, Clement Panchao, I think is how you pronounce it. He's the guy that did the soundtrack. He did Murder House's soundtrack as well. So, oh, yeah, terrific. good, good uh, very good at doing these sort of things. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah sorry, and carry his, on. Sorry. Yeah, I was, no, I was going to say his his uh, his work on this game definitely pairs incredibly well with the variety of environments too. That was another thing that I was surprised by, um, mm. just in terms of you know you go from the prologue, which is out in this the woods, and you go to this creepy, moody church the confines of the apartment block, and then you venture out into that, you know, seaside town. And then furthermore, you know, you're going to investigate, um, you know, the island and whatnot, the more tropical finale of the game. But I really, really enjoyed the wide range of environments that, you know, I'm sure all have a, uh, not an Easter egg, but like references to other horror films that, you know, took place in a variety of environment, any number of, you know, places that look just like this. Um, and, I guess that was another element that I was not expecting. You know, sometimes with these types of games, you expect it to be confined to a single location. And Mm -hmm. that's not, you know, that's not a detriment or that's not to say that um, it's disappointing when they do that. It's just that, you know, they're telling a very confined story in a place. And in uh, Night at the Gates of Hell, I was really impressed with the variety of environments and the depth to environments, Mm -hmm. whether that be, you know, the architecture of them whether it be just the kind of maze-like quality and how each place no matter how different it is it includes some new facet of gameplay like i'm thinking about the island at the end when you have that prison and how there's you have to like dodge these security cameras and whatnot which i i thought felt very much like uh return of the living dead part what was it with the military base was it three third one yeah i think think it's the third one with the military base and whatnot which i thought channeled that um but i was just I was really impressed with the fact that this could have been something where you start as a survivor of the zombie apocalypse on the top floor and you have to get to the bottom floor to escape. And that's the experience. But here you get to explore this wide variety of environments. And, you know, with the seaside-esque Italian town, you have to go through these three different settings there to find three different parts to fix the boat. And each one of those environments is completely different. You go Mm -hmm. from, you know, the prison to a dance school and of course, the third one's eluding me, but it it's the number of, uh, you know, varied environments that each bring their own types of scares to them, which I was very appreciative of. Yeah, and that, that just brings up some of the batshit stuff that goes on, you know, as you get through it. Um, you know, I was saying earlier, you know, how comedy and horror have gone quite well in previous Jordan game games, you know, Bloodwash that was, was there, I mean, the 
the booty cheek, <laughs> booty freak, cheek freak. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely had a lot of that. It was very, very much leaning into the the comedy side of it. No, possibly With a title like that. <laughs> it's like, um, but it worked really well. Um, yeah, but here is definitely the balance is perfect. Almost, you know, it's like it feels. You know, the humor is very much you know of an age. If um, you're not going to enjoy it, if you um, you know, don't understand where this is coming from, where it's taking place um, as a homage, but it, it does just do the stupidest things. I mean, we were going on about the you know, zombie variety. One of the funniest ones is when you go to that dance school, and there are little ballerina zombies. And they're just doing fucking pirouettes as you try to shoot them. <laughs> it's, just like, it's, like, it's like little bits like that. It just made me laugh. That it's like it, it, as disturbing as it is. It's like these are child zombies and they're doing pirouettes. But you found that to be funny. I found that to be terrifying when you walk around <laughs> that corner and you just see these zombie ballerinas, and then they charge at you basically from. And if you're like me and you wanted to run away from rather than yeah. run towards the threat, uh, I tried to like position myself behind a desk that I retreated to. And then they <laughs> branched off on the opposite sides of the desk, which freaked me out even more, which, you know, just because I have the shotgun now, it doesn't make me feel any more empowered. <laughs> oh, I mean, and again, the use of slow zombies is done so well in that regard because okay, they make everything that you can do. A detriment to that, you know, to um, be having any kind of advantage over them. So, you know, because you have to stop and shoot because you're often in tight spaces, it really does just make it a very difficult sort of thing, even when you've got the upper hand in a shotgun. You know, but, um, you know, because sure, you make it take one down, but if three or four of them are after you, you and you haven't thought out your strategy properly, you're done. Like that, and like we said, you know, the fact that you are one and done if you haven't got a knife is yeah terrifying. So when you get these slight variants on the zombies, yeah, not only do you have to think about the headshot, but it's about you know where the headshot comes, where you normally think headshot comes. This one's smaller, this one's bent over, this one's doing this, that, and I like that. That without going too crazy, it keeps throwing up different, interesting, you know, variations on a theme. And makes it tense, you know, makes, which is very difficult to keep up. And it does it so well. Yeah, especially for an experience that, you know, tops out at give or take three, three-ish hours. Mm. Um, I was really surprised by just how important that variety of zombies are to, you know, not feeling like I'm getting burnt out on what I'm facing within the first, you know, hour, 90 minute mark. Um, and I think that, you know, part of it is humor, right? The first zombie I think I killed or the second zombie I killed was a zombie wearing a tuxedo, which made me laugh. <laughs> and then the next one was a zombie that has a shrunken head, basically, that looks like a voodoo doll head. <laughs> and the first time I missed that and only had one bullet left in the chamber, I was like, oh, I've got this and then missed and then immediately have to do that mad scrabble of backing up and trying to reload and not get caught on a piece of the environment or back into a wall. Um, you know, that's genuine uh, tension in a way that, again, I think no matter how a game looks can be very difficult to replicate that. And, you know, some people might have something to say about, you know, well, 
the mechanics are, you know, slow reloading. You can't move when you're aiming down the barrel of the gun, but I find that to be the best or maybe the most flattering way mm. to do a homage, right? Because you can certainly look the part. You can have all those effects in these things that, you know, people could say, oh, it looks like one of these PS1 era games or this or that. But you have to have certain elements that come through in the gameplay that might not replicate how games from that era played. But you have to have certain parameters. Like another one that I don't think uh, we touched upon was the fact that when you have your gun out, you can't interact with any other part of the environment. You can't open doors. You can't pick up other items, which, you know, initially people might be like, well, that's restrictive. But I find it as being it's forcing the player to accept the fact that this is how this game is played to have the greatest number, the greatest amount of success, rather. You know, you have to abide by certain parameters for this to be a survival horror game because otherwise it's going to end up, you know, doom, basically, right? You're just going to run and gun your way through this, which is would not be channeling, you know, the feeling of playing a survival horror game. Um, and I think that, you know, it's a minor detail about gameplay, but I think that it's one that largely dictates how the player progresses through the world and sort of not a great deal of strategy to this game, but it makes it, the player has to think a little bit more about each action than just, oh, I'll just shoot my way through this. Cause it's like, no, you're going to miss certain items. You're going to miss being able to potentially open a door, which acts as, you know, an escape from a certain area and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was another little, little tweak on gameplay that I ended up being appreciative of rather than finding it to be necessarily a uh, hindrance. Yeah, it's weird you're saying about um, you know, the fact that you can't do anything, interact with anything else while you've got a gun equipped. It's like a strange sort of uh, correlation happened with something else I was reviewing at the time, which is, it was funny that um, you had this as a system because I was playing a game that was basically Animal Crossing called Hocko Life, yeah. And basically, when you are when you got your pickaxe or whatever out, you can't interact so easily with other things. You have to put it away to talk like that. It's not like you can fucking murder anyone with the axe because it's Animal Crossing style game. But it's like, but it's such a weird juxtaposition to go from that to that the same thing happening in Night of the Gates of Hell, and me being a bit too serene about it you know mm. like thinking that's oh, okay it's like that and then it just sort of kicks in oh shit no no, no this is a bad thing i gotta go do this like it's like it, it was just so weird to have two games doing the exact same little minor detail from very very different ends of the spectrum you know it's like i mean you couldn't find two games further apart and it was just really amusing to me that it ended up being <laughs> the same week that it happened well, you know, I think that the more we talk about this game, the more we're going to be able to dive into uh, more of the horror, like overt horror elements, again, that kind of caught us off guard. But also, you know, we can dive a little bit more into uh, some of the humor elements of this game. And I'm curious to see how, you know, that blending further into the experience that you got uh, landed for you. But uh, I think we'll get into that a little bit more when we come back from our break. And we are back from our break, and uh, I think we're going to dive a little bit more into, you know, some of the more memorable horror moments of this game, because we've kind of delved into, you know, the the basics, right? You are encountering a variety of zombies, you need to hit them in the head, or else they're going to grab you, and if you don't have a knife, then you're shit out of luck for that life's run, and then it's on to the next one. But, you know, I guess 
I was impressed also just in terms of the respawn system, which really did quell an issue that I have had when I've gone back to play games that had this one hit and you're done, which is that, oh, great, I get to do a great deal of backtracking, which then takes an experience like this that is roughly three hours and makes it, if I'm really bad at a particular game I'm playing, it could make it up to like, you know, five hours, if not more, uh, from repeated deaths and these things and really, you know, ammo crunching essentially. But with this game, it's survival horror, but it's done so in a way that never really falls into that pitfall, if mm. you will. You know, you do respawn very close to where you died. You might have to kill one or two zombies, but most of the time I found the zombie that killed me was no longer there mm. or it had died, um, which I don't say it makes the game easier I would because it's still one hit, one kill. Um, but at the same time, it's the thing that it allowed me to keep progressing and to not really get stuck in a, I don't know, a gameplay loop of just like, okay, now yeah. I get to backtrack five, 10, 15 minutes, which for somebody like me kind of irks me in a way. Yeah, um, maybe, no, you know, it. I'm not better than, I'm not as good as some people that play games, I suppose. But at the same time, like I'm... I'm already invested in this experience and I want to keep progressing in a way that doesn't end up with me, you know, half frustrated, have to go play something else for a little bit. Um, (laughs) But that was one of those little things that, you know, when I'm playing on a deadline for something to cover, it's definitely appreciated. It doesn't take anything away from the experience. It's still, you know, still got more than a handful of times I got grabbed by a zombie because I didn't keep track of how many bullets were in my gun or how many knives I had in my inventory. So it definitely was, uh, was a rewarding in terms of both things, wanting to progress, but at the same time, you know, still getting uh, punished for my inability to, you know, inventory track. Exactly. And that to me is, again, shipping a different scale here, but it's why I really loved Elden Ring so much is because it took the most frustrating aspects of from software games for me, which is like you make a bunch of progress think you're getting somewhere but because you didn't get to a bonfire oh sorry no you're gonna have to do all that again and it sort of gives you in, in small bites and it, that encourages you to sort of keep pushing on and keep trying on and you'll make mistakes and you'll not punish as severely for them and yes you will hit brick walls and yes you will hit points that are tough but so yeah everything encourages you to try harder and know that it's not you it's you know it's where you are you know you can uh, reassess the situation you're in and come at it in a different way you know while this is simpler you know in, in that regard it is still like that you know in a lot of ways you have that flexibility by having such quick close respawns you know i think we way back at the beginning of this podcast you know in, in only the second episode when i talked about this with uh amnesia reba where it's like having a death system that doesn't punish you is great you know it's like you know in that case it was a system that you know it does punish you just not in a gameplay way you know it's more of a narrative way but i like that idea of a system that you are not being pushed further and further back because you can't get past one bit you know and yeah so it it works so well and i was really grateful for it because it gave me the things i love about resident evil in a classic sense without the bullshit that the classic resident evil has so i was uh made up to have that sort of combination 
Yeah, you know, I would go so far as to say also, you know, you never really are crunching for bullets, right? The only no. thing that you're ever necessarily out of are knives, right? Because mm. if you aren't careful, you're, of course, going to blow through those knives, which give you basically a one-up. Um, and with guns, though, it's the thing where ammo is so plentiful, and unless, you know, you're just firing from the hip constantly, which all of the gameplay that I had seen, like video or trailer-wise, <laughs> it was just them firing from the hip and getting headshots, and I tried that the first time and, of course, immediately died. Um, it was the thing where... If you're aiming down the sights, you're not missing. So from afar, it's not an issue. But again, it's the amount of zombies that you face at a time when you have either a six shooter or a shotgun that's got four yeah. shells in it. It is the type of thing that I'm never necessarily out of ammo, but it's more about the quantity and a set of game mechanics that operate in a cl classical survival horror mentality where it's like, well, you're not going to be rapid firing off shells constantly. So you do need to think about, you know, your positioning, the amount of time that you have before one reaches you in these things, which mm. I was appreciative of. And I didn't, was not uh, necessarily upset when I got grabbed by a zombie because half of the time it was my fault. It was due to an error on my own uh, end of things. So I didn't become frustrated in that way. And again, like we've mentioned the game doesn't punish you for dying. It's fairly quick in getting you back into the thick of things yeah. and progressing. Um, I wanted to highlight a couple of you know more overt horror moments that really did stand out. We've talked about, of course, there's a great deal of variety in terms of the zombie models, right? Which that stock enemy never really becomes tiresome or loses its... I suppose, horror quality to it, right? It doesn't no. just become a sea of generic gray zombies. It's always got some semblance of personality, whether it be, you know, a adult zombie or a child zombie, whether it be something that is genuinely terrifying like that. Uh, I think in the very beginning of the, the uh, prologue, it was a nun of mm. sorts that has like worms coming out of her face when she grabs you. Yeah. Um, or, you know, there's more supernatural elements to some of the zombies, which I really liked, which was like when the heads in one section come off of the zombies, the heads crawl around with the spinal cord trailing behind them <laughs> like a snake. And you, all of a sudden you're faced with a foe that, you know, is it, to kill them is not all that different than a normal zombie. But there's a new, you know, facet to gameplay where it's like, yeah. okay, now I have to aim below the, the knees for something that's coming at me. And it's not just one, it's a handful, which, you know, kind of throws you for a loop the first time, which I mm. liked. Um, you have those el those enemies. You have, of course, zombie dogs always have to make an appearance at some point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but also, you know, even the monstrosity, which is one of the first sub bosses that you fight, right? Which is basically a fleshy mound that has zombie heads hanging off of it. Yeah. Um, what I really, really found impressive about that was that perhaps a lesser developer or a developer that just wanted to throw a boss in there might say, okay. We'll throw this boss at the player that's essentially just a bullet sponge. They yeah. look different. So just because they look different, we'll just make them a bullet sponge. But with this enemy, it still applies to how you take down the normal zombies, which I thought was really ingenious in a way where it's this fleshy mound, but there's heads hanging off of it. So you, of course, have to kill all the heads because that's what the game has conditioned you to do, obviously, mm. to get through all of the uh, the hordes of the more stock standard zombies. And just I really appreciated the fact that the core mechanics don't change just because the type of enemy does. Yeah. The enemy itself, you know, the way that you face off against it is different because 
It charges at you. It has more than one life, essentially. But at the same time, it doesn't fundamentally rewrite the way that the player has been playing the game. You still have to get headshots five out of five times before you can take that thing down. Mm. Um, And I thought that that was just a smart implementation for a boss that could have very easily just been a bullet sponge. I could have had to run around that restricted area for, you know, 15 minutes pumping slug after slug after slug into that thing. But because King realizes the fact that, you know, there's only one way to kill a majority of the enemies, it needs to be applied to the boss in a way. But in this, you know, fix, it is that, okay, it's got five heads instead of one. And I just found that, you know, it was a seamless transition into a boss fight that the game itself did not really indicate it was heading in that direction for, you know, any period of time. Yeah. And you know what? That, that is really a great thing that um, everything is so balanced. You know, I can say there are points where it, you, you can call bullshit on certain shots not hitting. It's like It feels like, no, that should have hit. That, that maybe should have hit. But I think it's just the nature of game design. Sometimes that stuff happens. But it feels like the fight is balanced. You know, it, it's not just about what you can do. It's about what you can do, they can do, you know. And, yeah, sure, a bite from them will kill you. But, you know, you hitting them in the right area will kill them every single time. It shouldn't matter what variant of them they are, you know, unless they're, like, some sort of super variant or, indeed, not human, as comes up. Um, you can expect to it to follow logic and as you said that's brilliant that we don't have to have this oh no you have to hit it with this many things before it goes down sort of thing so no this is a rule hit it in the head it goes down hit in the head it goes down and yeah that is a great example of going around that thing and making it into a boss fight it's like it's like we'll still follow the rules but we'll make it interesting and yeah, it's a really, really, really smart way of doing things. Yeah, plus you would run into the issue of if it was just a bullet sponge enemy, then the player would more or less probably run through their ammo, mm. right? And that in and of itself would be going against sort of the thesis of survival horror, right? Is that you need, it's not so much that you're faced with an enemy that just needs more bullets to be taken down, but needs to be strategically taken down, mm. um, which by a certain extent, again, you know, the same level of strategy that's applied to taking down a basic enemy in a survival horror game should more or less be attributed to a boss, but it's just multiplied in some way or heightened yeah. in some way. But it shouldn't be this, you know, event that is going to make the preceding 20, 25 minutes of struggle because all of a sudden you have no ammo or something along those lines. Um, Mm -hmm. And the world itself, you know, while it is certainly not uh, spare or, you know, there's not a lot of uh, lack of ammo to pick up in this game and whatnot. At the same time though, if I have to dump, you know, 20 shells into a boss, that's going to put me out in a way for the next, you know, chapter and whatnot, um, which could, you know, definitely go against the idea of like, well, this is not really a survival element of this game. It's more of just an action portion of this game, which, you know, could have its moments, but at the same time, it might feel like a portion of the game that you could highlight that goes against, again, that sort of central thesis. Um, but I would be remiss not to mention what is one of the 
more notable boss fights, I'll say, which is basically zombified jaws, right? <laughs> you get to this portion in the game where you've escaped the island, you've collected these pieces to fix the boat so you and this group of survivors that you encounter can escape finally. And we'll talk about those uh, that eclectic bunch mm. of oddball survivors in a moment. But this was definitely a part of the game that I really loved because it was so clearly representative of what I talked about in the intro of the show, which was a developer that not only understands horror, but their love of horror comes through and what they're able to, you know, bring to life in their own game. And while it is very clearly a combination of Jaws and, you know, zombie, right, getting to recreate that moment of a zombified shark, um, it made for something that was really notable. And it is a standout moment in the overall experience, but it's just, it feels like the biggest horror fan in the world getting to say, you know, I'm unapologetic and getting to live out this this <laughs> fantasy of merging two of my loves, that being creature feature sharks and zombies coming together and uh, trying to, you know, replicate that as best they can in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you prefaced it in this uh, episode about it being very much my groove yeah. in so many ways, that then it adds that, and it's like, yeah, now it really is my groove. <laughs> it's like, it's like, <laughs> throwing all the other things it does really well that... Um, uh, things I love and enjoy to have that as well as that yeah I, pandering as it may be it's there and I love it <laughs> it's like um, to have a shark sequence like that is just wonderful wonderful stuff and you know to, for you not to be like some sort of end encounter yes I was kind of sure it would be at that point yeah you know um, it was great to sort of see it be like a mid game sort of thing you know, a set piece battle. You know, and, you know, when I was reading like the thing that Jordan put out about the game, saying you know how he began with this idea of wanting to be like a classic Resident Evil first, and you know, but then add this sort of you know, European horror sort of vibe to it. Things like this just made me think, yeah, you you've really really got it down on lock here because not only is this does this feel like one? It feels like the other, you know. And yeah, Christ, favorite mo- one of my favorite moments in two things as a boss fight, brilliantly done. And to be honest, the fact that it, what happens at the end of that section, then and eventually pays off in the ridiculous way that it does, just makes it even better you know it's like it's just it, you just have to embrace the cheese that the game goes for at that point well that's the thing too i mean the game is so well versed in just you know firmly having its tongue in its cheek to the degree that it might actually you know pierce through its own cheek and come out <laughs> into the world because it is a game that fully leans into its sense of humor and i think that there's no instance that's more clear of that than when you interact with the survivors, right? You interact with, uh, I believe it's Stan, who is a recurring character from Bloodwash, even who is like the neighbor with the voice of reason, basically, for the character, uh, returning here and, you know, being his, uh, his saintly way of rescuing a woman and this peculiar, uh, supposedly child, but I think that by the end of the game, that's in <laughs> questions, uh, for sure. Uh, between that woman and her child, and then you meet like an old nom vet, basically. Yeah. And then you meet a, uh, a ship captain who it turns out is masquerading as a captain is more of just like a hand on the ship. Uh, I <laughs> love that you get this 
bizarre group of eclectic characters that all have their own weird fucking things just to yeah. you know give the player e readings about but at the same time it makes for a game that again it knows the type of humor that it's going for it fully leans into it in a manner that's unapologetic um and you know it might not always land for me personally but at the same time i can't not respect the fact that they this game is so clearly unconcerned with anyone that's not in on the joke because it mm. knows it has an audience and it knows what it's doing and at the same time, even for people like myself, who the humor doesn't always land, they're making up for it in the fact that it's making up for it in the gameplay. It's making up for it yeah. again in this mood and the craft that's gone into that. And at the end of the day, I end up looking more fondly on the humor than I might in another experience just because yeah, exactly. everything else about this is so well polished and so well realized. And it's not to say that that element's not well realized, but – Overall, it's a package that I think succeeds in so many different ways that my brief qualms with some of some of the humor, um, <laughs> it, it really is relevant by the end of my time with this game. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, the humor is um, of a time. You know, and if you've played Budwash, if you've played the Booty Creek, Cheek Creek, they, they are games that very much rely on that kind of humor. And I'm pure oil, so I don't give a shit. So yeah, like, I, I will listen to that stuff and be very happy in, in giggling at it, you know. But um, again, because it goes back to those sort of films and how you know, less so maybe, but you know that era where you know, that was part and parcel of it. And now going back to it, you can laugh at it. You can agree that it may be awkward and weird, and uh, but yeah it's funny in its own way yeah and yeah i like that i agree that not everything hits as it should but for the majority of it i think it really does do a great job and just there's always like a character that just ends up being like memorable yeah you know, one way or the other and charles is like the <laughs> one here you know, the, the the child if you will uh, big air quotes for uh, yeah, big air quotes. <laughs> uh, the, like that, that <laughs> it's just like it's like it just as much as you know, it, you know, coming into this, even having played previous Jordan King games, you're still like you're going, Christ Almighty, <laughs> it's like, like that, and it's like what's the Chucky vibe, you know, into to that character. And, and like just the, the face choice for it is perfect because it's like this is clearly not a child sort of thing but yeah god it just so, <laughs> so I'll much say to love about the it. the face the way that they do faces in these game in you know in these particular games never stops me from laughing that's mm. the thing is that you know what the character might be saying i might occasionally roll my eyes at or be like ah, oh, it didn't land as well as i hoped it would but just the fact that something that looks this horrifying is saying that to me and it's supposed to be you know very genuine though this is yeah. just this character the way they look like that in and of itself makes me laugh which i think is a good balancing i guess of you know spoken humor and just you know visual humor if you will yeah, because that- I, no matter what i'm gonna giggle at what's being said whether or not it's like a joke that's going to really stick with me or anything like that. Yeah, it is just that general absurdity that, that works so well. Uh, I think it, it's always fun when something leans into that absurd nature. Uh, and yeah, that's what many people embrace about 
that era of horror anyway so why not play into it you know and it's why i really enjoyed the booty creek cheek freak because it really did just have that humor in spades you know <laughs> so yeah, yeah I, I i could see how it could be divisive you know because it is just constantly on it with that um but yeah it, it's just so much fun you know and it just feels like nothing else and I, I pref- much prefer that. It's like I prefer flawed and stupid, you know, in a artistic way than you know a perfectly crafted thing that's very somber that doesn't quite hit the mark. You know, um, so yeah, it, 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 like as we've constantly sort of noted here it's very hard for me not to be biased in this because it does just hit so many notes that I, I like, but you know, that's not the game's fault. <laughs> so it's just, that just happens to be, it's very much me. Well, this is the thing too, is that with those characters who, you know, I, I find that some are more successful than others in mm. their purpose or what they're conveying at the same time though, again, this speaks to, a creative and creatives that just, they understand this era of film that they're trying to emulate in that no matter how ridiculous these characters are, no matter how ludicrous overall their entire personas are, you know, they still have these moments that feel very evocative of a film from that era, which is, you know, that last stand section of the game, right? Where you basically find this base. It's filled, of course, with all the guns and ammo you could ever need. And you give the guns to the the rest of the crew. And one by one, people begin to get picked off. And Mm -hmm. it has this trajectory and this payoff that feels very traditional to the type of movie that you would be watching at 2 or 3 a.m. that's focused around the undead. And then, of course, in the true, you know, puppet combo universe jordan king universe uh it has an ending that it completely throws what you think you know against the (laughs) wall in a way that totally sticks no matter how ridiculous it is and we won't go into much depth about it here but it is the type of thing that throws you for a curveball in a way where it's just like yeah i'm sold on whatever they want to do next because i love this level (laughs) of lunacy and hilarity that you know is not only defined by that brand of ridiculousness right i think that the fact that these games resonate so much with the pair of us is that they are genuinely fun to play which you know sounds very sounds very simplistic to say but i think that sometimes when i'm playing shorter horror experiences or games it's the thing where it's like they're so reliant on the fact of like this is my flavor of horror for the month or this is a joke that i'm going to keep hitting but Across the board with this, I mean, again, this like little pocket of the horror universe, first and foremost, these are fun games to play that just so happen to be about these worlds and these people that are completely ridiculous. But there's a quality to them that goes beyond the joke because, you know, if this was just a big joke for three hours, it's the type of thing where it's like, okay, like I think I think I've understood and experienced what's to be had here. But overall, you know, there's a level of you know, refining that small bite-sized slice of an experience in a way that, you know, it makes it more rewarding than just experiencing the jokes for the first time. We're just seeing, you know, a zombie reference from when, you know, your character Dave basically gets impaled on a gigantic wooden splinter, yeah. uh, which is a moment I love. But it's a perfect blending, I think, of those types of horror Easter eggs, but also with gameplay that is 
both rewarding and then humor that, you know, is rewarding more often than not. Doesn't always hit, but at the same time, yeah. it's a wonderful, uh, a wonderful kind of bow on top of this, this homage to a certain era of uh, survival horror classics. Yeah, I mean, it really does, um, for me, especially capture a lot of what I loved about Resident Evil in those early days is they would ape moments from classic horror and that would sort of build out um, your sphere of influence, if you will, on that genre. Uh, because you'd be like, oh, this bit's from this, this bit's from that. Well, that's amazing like that. And you check out more things as a result, which you know is always my favourite thing about any game I end up loving is where it takes me afterwards you know uh, this, this is inverse in, in that regard it's like it's all stuff where I, I'm doing the, the the Leonardo DiCaprio meme pointing at the screen yeah. <laughs> going I yeah, that, but and it's fine because I like that in a game occasionally where I feel like I'm in a little club you know because it's not like a mainstream set of references it is very right. much like a horror fan set of influences yeah, and that's amazing to have, you know. It's um, and not even like big, dumb, obvious ones. You know, it's stuff that is. I don't. I wouldn't call it obscure, but for the modern horror fan, it ain't it. You know, it's not. It's not going to be stuff that is immediately obvious. You know, it took me years to get to that point. Even you know to uh, get many of the references, even that are in here. Yeah, but zombie fleshy is is something that gets referenced repeatedly for instance you know and including the eyeball scene you mentioned and then i think you know the way the game starts with a very clear you know statement on you know, which is like this is like the bit at the beginning of city of the living dead you know by fulci as well it's like it's like you've got me if you do fulci you've got me straight away you know and it's not just that uh, King does Fulci, he gets Fulci. You know, he gets that sort of kind of uh, horror so well that it is just mesmerising for me. And just, I think if you can start a game in a way that gets people on board who understand that, you're on to a winner because it's like you can have issues and still... Um, sort of gain that sort of forgiveness because you will end up being able to say yeah okay so it's not polished in this way or that way but hey we can look at this and go oh wow you know it, it really does just feel like euro italian sort of star horror of a certain era in so many ways and if you love that like i do then you're going to be like Fine, brilliant. I love this. This is, this is my shit, as you know, as you saw in the thing I sent you. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, this is so much in my ballpark. You know, in so many ways, it's a shopping mall away from being exactly what I want. So, and, um, I, I trust me. I already have an image picked out for uh, for this week's social <laughs> post because this could not have been, you know. And I describe it this way, not to say that it's not for me as well. But this is so singularly something that you know. As long as I've known you and getting to know you better, with you know, as long as we've been doing this, 
Um, it seems like something, again, like I said at the beginning, that was made in the lab specifically for your interests, uh, which, you know, just so happens cross with, uh, with mine as well. Uh, but again, like I keep coming back to the fact that even those like Easter egg moments that we talked about and how they might be from what some more modern horror fans might label as being obscure, there's still things that are being referenced that are being recreated in some instances that all horror fans can enjoy, yeah. which I think is key when you're doing those things, right? Because yes, otherwise absolutely. it ends up just feeling like the Marvel approach, which is like, oh, did you pick up on that? Oh, I got that joke. Did you not get that? Everything I yeah. find that this is referencing is accessible based on the fact that, you know, sure, it's from those movies, but more importantly, in the moment of experiencing it, it's grotesque or it's yeah. horrifying, which, you know, that eyeball example and, of course, the shark attack itself are the best examples of that. Um, but the game is littered with moments such as that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's got nods that feel more personal. I think as you said you know about the marvel sort of side of things it, it it makes nods feel like oh they're really big and important as i can so but in a way that because of how that universe is set up that it doesn't matter because everyone is basically in on the joke if you will and so even if they aren't you know, they can just look up on Google who's this like that, and you know, Google and you know, people anticipate that on Google and say, oh yeah, people are going to search for who is this person, so we'll do an article on that, and everyone will be like, yeah, I knew all about this all to begin with, sort of thing like that, which is depressing, you know, the, in terms of that universe because the two things growing up, you know, you know horror and comics you know were two of the big things i had and now it's like stuff i'm like that would be a really cool thing as it sort of like revealed in a comic book movie but they're always done in such a way that just feels like a real downer and you end up in the same space as people who don't really know what they're talking about they want to be excited they want to be part of it and be feel smug like they knew all along so you didn't you, you didn't you, you read on fucking wikipedia what this character does what that character does that, that is what you have done they like read an, an ending explained article exactly or they've read like about the comics around a storyline and therefore sort of naturally come into it which is fine i think to a degree because you're getting educated on the greater history of comics and what they do. But, you know, in horror terms, you know, with this, it amazes me still that, like, when you talk of Fulci, for instance, it's like people only think of zombie flesh eaters, you know, and because, you know, what it is. And, you know, that eyeball scene being a very big thing. But beyond that, people don't give a shit. You know, they don't because different generation. You know, I, I can say this as a man <laughs> of forty. <laughs> you know, that I, it's very difficult. You know, even I came into that very late, so that's not really the fault of, of people of a certain generation, really, because it just happens to be the way media has gone. You know, in the past ten, fifteen years, really, you know, and because of streaming and the way things happen, it's like certain things have taken precedent now and there's a lot of immediacy about everything so going back to stuff that is old 
only happens if it has yeah, promotional quality, if you will. Yeah, it's like say, it's not so much about the you know what this means to the history of film or whatever. It's more about can I make this into a meme? Yeah, and, <laughs> right. Which is frustrating, but you know you still there waiting and wishing that the film you love is going to be part of that, you know, coming in down the line so that people can appreciate that director more. I think it's going to happen really with the people, you know, even for Romero, you know, it, it's not really happened. It's like, but, um, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's like to get into that sort of wave, you have to have made something really relevant in the last 20 years ish. So, you know, hence why you know, Wes Craven can get away with it, because he made Scream. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but yeah, it's a difficult, difficult thing to do. And Resident Evil now, it's like, you think of all the hype for Resident Evil, it's based on everything 4 plus, you know, for most people. So, Gates of Hell is great for people like me, you know, who have such whimsical views towards what Resident Evil was and I was so obsessed with what Resident Evil was that before I ever played 2 I was there reading magazines worth of strategy guys for a game I'd never <laughs> played you know like and right. just and then playing it and just living through it which is brilliant way to do things I think I, as much as people complain about Twitch and and YouTube and about oh people watching playthroughs of games what does that achieve that I was with I was there with that, but it matters, I think, because it can be a really good access point for people to get into what was, and understand what made uh, horror as it is. But yes, sorry to go back to my original point. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's actually the longest rant I've gone the whole episode. To be fair, so it's like, but yeah, to original point. This is a classic survival horror game. In so many ways, and I think that more than the Fulci stuff is what endears it to me. I, it really does just make it something that is my kind of shit. So I guess I'll throw you a curveball, which we haven't talked about before recording. Uh, if you were to say for people that maybe were on the fence about this game mm-hmm. and buying this game, which, you know, I was browsing the Steam comments and I'd seen a few that were complaining about the the price point versus the time investment, which immediately threw me into a fucking rage, which I regret now <laughs> mentioning because we could go on a whole other fucking rant about yeah. morons and that it's regard. Forming which, my head. Yeah, exactly. Saying. Which means I need to hurry up and get this question out. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I guess in terms of like, whether it be prep for playing this or even for people that play this and then want to experience some media um, other than games, that could be nice uh, accompaniments to this or accompaniments to this. Um, what were what would be like three zombie movies that you would recommend for people that they should check out if they are either thinking about getting into this or people that have played this and then you know want to dive into maybe some of the more obscure side of zombie media that they haven't played or watched previously. Well, um, you know, surely you know my answer. Yeah. I know um, your answer. It's a little <laughs> set up for the audience. <laughs> so yeah, um, 
They're all Fulci films, so straight in away. In no particular uh, order, I'll say, to save you in, any backlash. Yes, and it is that trilogy. It is um, Zombie, City of the Living Dead, and House by Cemetery, adjacent the beyond. Because um, <laughs> you know, they really do just encapsulate what this game is going for. You know, um, so much so. They really do. I mean, this game opens with a homage to the Year of the Living Dead, you know, with, where a priest hangs himself that basically starts the fucking zombie apocalypse because, you know, it opens the gates of hell. And, you know, that is what happens in that film as well. So, yeah, they are the films you should definitely, absolutely watch if you want to... Um, indulge in this sort of uh, aesthetic vibe mood basically you know they are it, this game encapsulates everything about that you know so get those films under your belt you want to know more Jordan King I'm sure will have you covered there in terms of um, okay, you go on his Twitter I'm sure he will tell you a much broader range of films you know in, in terms of going on that sort of stuff but they are my reference points you know and yeah, if you want to push it a little further, I would say uh, Demons Two, you know, which again I talked about on Daily Horror pa- Habit with you, um, is another thing that sort of comes to mind. But I think about this and Rosemary's Baby, even yeah, because there's a whole cult sort of side thing to the apartment, and that really works well. Like, um, but yeah, the biggest reference of all. Beyond that is Resident Evil Remake, which I think um, this is in a lot of ways, but it excuse the remake's uh, graphical upgrade to literally just make a, re- you know, a remake of the original game like it was, in a way, um, in a very loose sense, of course. But yeah, it, is, it does a lot of what the original did and what the remake did and mushes them together in this very retro skin and I mean I appreciate the retro could mean either game these days because you know the even remake is 20 years old but yeah they, they, they are my reference points absolutely well yeah you know I'm definitely have to thank you for introducing me to a lot of those movies uh mm. you know prior to this which I think gave me even a better appreciation for this game and understanding what it was going for. Granted, at, by this point, I had played a number of Public Combo and you know Jordan King mm. games that I, w- I kind of knew what I was uh, getting myself in for and it appreciated the fact that you know Night at the Gates of Hell feels like, like we had said earlier, it feels like the next evolution on those types of experiences that really does refine a mechanic that was introduced at the tail end of Bloodwash, right? You've got that section with combat against yeah. uh, the... I forget the name of the killer now, but you have that combat mechanic at the end of it when you're in the basement, and it was nice to see an expansion on that mechanic in a way that was in a full-fledged product, yeah. and really is done in a way that, again, it feels like it's from someone that has a strong understanding of not only classical survival horror games, but also can lean into their own personal interests of the you know sphere of horror if you will which is always something that we love to see and it made for a game that you know no matter what kind of mud people might say sling at it in terms of like its length or something like that 
at three hours and some change, I found this to be a fantastic experience that is the types of games that, you know, it, it would be inappropriate to cover for something like Horror Bites, right? Because it is, of yeah. course, longer than that hour or so uh, time allotment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it's the type of game that we have to cover in depth because it's something that, you know, you it would be at home in Horror Bites, but it is going a certain distance that exceeds the teams, the budget, the time and whatnot that goes into those and yet it's definitely uh, well worth, you know, giving a shout to and talking about in some depth. Absolutely. You do think there's stuff like Gone Home, you know, What Remains of Edith Finch, and while it's not horror, Journey, yeah, which to me, to this day, is like, it was £10 when that game came out. For less than two hours, I would have paid £50 to have that experience, you know, because knowing in advance but because it was life-changing you know in terms of games so price is irrelevant it's what you do with the time you have a game can be 100 hours 200 hours whatever if it doesn't really do anything for you you're never gonna get there so what does it matter um so yeah two three hour games perfect you know like 15 minute games great like that it doesn't matter you can have games 100 hours and i will be obsessed with it if it does everything right but that's the important thing time does not matter you just have to make the most of that time you know to make it worthwhile yeah so uh, and this is very much in that field of examples that three hours give or take makes progress, goes different places, feels like a bigger thing than it is. And that's what you want. It's like, I remember playing games back in the PS1, PS2 era that felt epic, you know? They, they felt like longer experiences than they were actually, actually were because games were never that long, you know? It's like outside of RPGs, your, your experiences were very limited, like I think just at some point the RPG experience became the norm for what people were aiming for. It was like, no, we have to have a game that's going to keep people invested for hundreds of hours. And it's like, you didn't have to. It's if it's like, not 50 hours, you could throw that shit to the wayside. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, I think that with Arcane's games, it's like, I feel so invested in those games. Uh, I don't have to put hundreds of hours in. Yeah, I can put 30, 40, 50 hours in and like replaying them, whatever, whatever, and get everything I ever need out of it. Deathloop, I spent like 35 hours the first time I played it to finish it, and it felt so much like I put so much time into it and so much love, and I never wanted it to end. And it's like, that's what, that's your sweet spot. Something where it's like, you don't want it to end. You don't be thinking, how long have I got? That's it. And so having any game that understands that and appreciates that deserves your time. Absolutely. And it's also worth mentioning, which I only learned upon completing uh, Night at the Gates of Hell, is that once you complete the game, you unlock the booty, cheek, creek, freak, and Dr. Fleshenstein, which are two past uh, Jordan King games that I believe were only available on Patreon previously. So the idea that anybody could pl complain about, you know, 
the investment of, I think it's 11 dollars or something for this uh you know i always come back to the idea of like well how much do you pay to go to the movies right in some places where especially when you live just outside of a major city like i do it's like give or take 20 dollars for something that's generally speaking two hours or less and in this you get three games one of them you know the main selling point of being night at the gates of hell is three hours plus of an experience for give or take 10 11 12 dollars what it is and mm-hmm. then you get two full-fledged products at the end of that. And yeah, it's the type of thing. I hate getting bogged down in that, but it's so, you know, it at my core, it drives me insane when I read <laughs> those types of comments about, oh, it's not, you know, yeah. this is a ripoff. This isn't that long of an experience for what it costs and these things. And it's just like. Yeah. And it, it doesn't matter in the long term because your review of what it costs at full price doesn't mean anything down the line when it costs two quid. So you know, it's like you buy it when you want it. That is a way to see it. But that's my way of uh, ranting briefly about something that otherwise we could have uh, filled (laughs) another 90 minutes with. But uh, yeah, you know, it's the type of thing where I love having these types of experiences drop at this time of the year, just especially, you know, I got to wear a hoodie for this episode because it's getting chilly here in New England. Here I'm uh, in a vest. Yeah. (laughs) It's cold, but I'm in a vest. Because this room enclosed starts getting hot really quickly. (laughs) Well, we're heading into the the official start of spooky season not too soon. And this feels like a more than fitting way to head into that season. But uh, yeah, yeah, we've got some exciting anniversary episodes coming in the future. We've, of course, Mm -hmm. got Horror Bites coming uh, at the beginning of October. And, uh, you know, we've been laughing behind the scenes about just, you know, how inundated we are this time of year with games to cover, anniversaries to cover. And, uh, you know, this feels like the proper game to be covering at the height of the beginning of spooky season. It really does, doesn't it? It's like, and October's, we are so fortunate with October that we have two really big franchises to cover in terms of anniversary content. And, you know, for Horror Bites, it should be a special Horror Bites if, if everything goes right. So, yep. and wherever else we do that month. Hopefully we'll add to that. But yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to everything we're going forward on this. You know, obviously we have the foreknowledge that we've already done the episode for the week after this, so <laughs> we can say that's good. So, <laughs> so good. A really, a really fantastic guest for a uh, a recently released uh, horror title, which uh, people can look forward to uh, next week. But. Yeah. Yes. As uh, as always, Neil, I look forward to chatting with you again next week. Until the next time. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. You can also drop us an email over at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.